0: You are listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events. Events, you say? Yes, events. Like the Savage Wonder Festival. Coming at you May 29th, 2022, The day before Memorial Day in beautiful upstate Chester, New York at the Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center. Why are we doing a festival to commemorate Memorial Day weekend on the day before Memorial Day? Well, it's a couple of reasons. One, we did not want to step on all the municipalities in Orange County, New York that have Memorial Day celebrations because just about everybody does. It's a very patriotic, very veteran heavy uh, community. And uh, so I didn't want to step on those and, and compete with those uh, celebrations or, or compromise them or whatever. So we're doing it the day before, um, and it is still Memorial Day weekend. But the whole reason we're doing it on Memorial Day is because we really wanted to celebrate Memorial Day appropriately, and um, you know, not turn it into a funeral, not turn it into a wake, but reclaim it to remind people it's not just about the start of summer. It's it's a significant, meaningful holiday. And never more so than this year, after the last year that we've had. And um, what better way to do that than to have veterans in the arts performing for you all at the festival? Published poets, um, you know, awesome bands—not uh, cover bands, like actual bands playing their own music. As so I keep telling people, this is not v- just this is not for hobbyists. These are not veterans that you know. It's not a veteran talent show. These are professional artists um, doing world-class work, um, and they also have really compelling backstories as veterans. So bands, poets, dancers, uh, got filmmakers, Tyler Mendelson, Scott Mann, incredible stuff going on with them. Um, Who am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting a a bunch of other people. Anyway, we're going to have other stuff, like all the kind of festival amenities you can imagine, food trucks, Service dog demonstrations, sponsor booze, the whole works. It's going to be a madhouse. It's going to be a lot of fun. And tickets are ridiculously cheap considering because we really didn't want price to be a barrier to entry for people. We really wanted everybody that wants to to be able to come out and celebrate this with us. So that is the Savage Wonder Festival, which is one of many lines of effort that we have at Veterans Repertory Theater. Of course, we have the Write Loud events on Instagram Live. We have our 2022 staged reading season that has just kicked off. Um, we've got our playwriting competitions, which are ones coming to an end as we speak. The other is still in process. And um, got uh, the literary blog, this podcast, I don't know, everything. So um, we got a lot of stuff going on. Go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org to find out all of our Lines of effort, vetrep.org. And if you're really interested in the Savage Wonder Festival, and I hope you are, and if I think your interest is going to be exponentially greater if you're on the East Coast, because the odds of you actually being able to make it to the Savage Wonder Festival are probably better, check it out at savagewonder.com. Pretty easy. It's all one word, savagewonder.com. Um, and that's not to discourage anybody anywhere in the world from checking out the website. Um, I'm just hyped up on caffeine and lack of sleep, so I'm trying to overcome my scratchy voice by saying a lot of words, so don't be offended. Uh, Whoever you are, wherever you are, check out everything you want to know about the Savage Wonder Festival at savagewonder.com. My guest today on the show was Jericho Hill. Uh, If you don't know Jericho Hill, well, for one thing, um, it's the first time we've had a band On the show, first time I've interviewed more than one person uh, on Savage Wonder, which um, which is fine and and cool and obviously um, you know it's not uh, you know it's not rocket science. It's it's you know mildly different than doing a one on one interview. Um, I'm I felt like it's weird. I felt like I was a little out of practice just because I've stockpiled a bunch of podcast episodes because I knew I was going to be busy with the festival and um, and it's, it's so you're know, giving myself like seven consecutive days off uh, prior to this show. Uh, it's funny. I felt like I'd lost muscle when I came, when it came to interviewing and talking to them, I was like, boy, I'm really, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a great time just chatting and bullshitting with them. And I was like, I don't really feel like I normally do when I'm hosting. I'm not, don't feel like I'm asking, uh, you know, super insightful questions, but I'm having a good time listening to them and, um, and finding out what's going on with them, with their journeys um, you know, in this case, obviously it's not the whole band that's there. It's just Mac and Steve, um, the guitarist. And um the reason we had those two on obviously is not only are they the you know, founders really of Jericho Hill, but also they are um uh both veterans themselves. So it made sense for them to be on. So anyway, those are all the dynamics uh going into the show. And then also with the festival, I'm just I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm little tired, a little bit of running on fumes. So I'm a little hyped on caffeine, which adds a nice layer of high energy and insincerity in my voice. (laughs) So I feel like I've been fighting that all day and like, dude, I got to slow down and, uh, and stop selling and just, uh, you know, talk with these guys. Uh, and, and it was nice to slow down and just, um, hear where they were at and hear about their process and hear about people doing, um, you know, real artwork, as opposed to uh, me (laughs) running around and doing all the left brain stuff you have to do to pull off uh, Savage Wonder Festival. Anyway, uh, it was a great time talking with them, though. If you really don't know Jericho Hill, though, uh, check them out. I listened, uh, I think it was a year ago that I first found out about them. I think I read their article. The article came out about them in Coffee or Die magazine. And Coffee or Die, I think the title was something like, you know, five bands you need to know or five veteran bands. You need to know for the summer or something. Anyway, had some kind of Cosmo ish title, but anyway, good article and spoiler alert. I think, I think I'm right in saying this. I think all of those bands are going to be at the Savage Wonder Festival. I'm pretty sure anyway, uh, which is freaking awesome because they were really all outstanding bands and, uh, Jericho Hill, I think was the first one I actually invited to the festival. Um, I, it took me a whopping 30 seconds, as I say, in the episode of listening to them to realize that, uh, these were guys I wanted to have at the festival. Um, they're heavy, which is cool. I like it. It's very festival-ish. I think, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, Ozfest, you know, Lollapalooza kind of, you know, cool vibe, but the thing with them is they're heavy, but they really, um, hook heavy like their hooks are really um, infectious, really catchy songs. So even though they're heavy, there's kind of a little bit of a glee and kind of a glimmer in their eye. As I say, I think it's like Loki started a rock band. Like there's, there's kind of a glimmer in their eye uh, the way they do their music, but, um, but it is heavy, but really rhythmic, really freaking um, catchy. And even just, uh, again, I say all this in the episode, but you know, it's not much of a spoiler to say it here. You know, even knowing I was going to be talking to them today, like their songs just started going through my head and I started humming them, uh, throughout the day. It's just, uh, they're, they're that kind of band. So really a blast to sit down and hear how the sausage is made, how they go about, um, you know, uh, putting their songs and doing their music, putting their songs out and, and doing their music. Um, sorry, I, I got distracted because I was just thinking, I was trying to think if I want to say this, I don't want to, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school by saying this, but when I was talking to the guys before we started recording, they, um, they said, uh, Hey, you know, we've listened to your show and, you know, you tend to have really, um, you know, some guys that have had some heavy stuff on the show and, uh, and all that. And they're like, you know, we're not really those guys. And, uh, obviously that's not a prerequisite. All the, really is a prerequisite as I, as you guys have heard me say before, is that one, you're a veteran who's in the arts professionally and two, uh, that I like your stuff. That's really all it takes. But, um, but I was like, well, that's fine. You know, we'll play where is. Um, but it was funny how their interview took a a turn and where it just started to go into some really interesting, cool, um, subjects artistically and about the, kind of journey uh, and and a lot of it is the sausage making of of being in the music business and what that looks like and and what that feels like. And one of the big takeaways I had was how difficult it is to have a band. I mean, you think about, you think about how many marriages don't work and that's just two people, or you think about how many people individually can't sort themselves out and handle their own business. And this is a band. I mean, this is, you know, four or five guys generally, you know, uh, trying to make a band work and trying to marry themselves together aesthetically and emotionally and temperamentally and all that logistically. So, um, so, you know, hearing those difficulties and, and what that journey had been like for the for, for Stephen Mac was really, um, I thought interesting. Anyway, enough of my going on about it. Uh, I'll step out of the way so you guys can hear it directly from them, but I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director at Vet Rep, and this is the Savage Wonder of Jericho Hill. Boys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us, man. I'm I'm so thrilled for so many things. Uh, with you guys both coming to Savage Wonder. But just to talk to you guys, um, it was such a delight to stumble across your music about a year ago. And um, I am somebody that I think I've hit that age where all I do is listen to the same shit I listened to when I was a teenager, and I will not get out of that loop. So for me to listen to new bands is like you know, nails on chalkboard. And uh, it was such a pleasure to listen to you guys. I just I've listened to your album over and over and over again usually in and out of traffic uh, weaving around and sometimes yelling at people but it's uh it's been a blast dude uh, so to have you guys on is really cool so uh that's a long way of saying welcome to the show
1: well thanks Our, yeah that's awesome to hear uh, it's pretty good traffic music
0: yeah <laughs> no. it's, it's good it's uh it, cuz it's it's not rage music but it, it it because of the beat and everything and like Dude, I, I get in a nice rhythm with it. I don't know. For some reason, when I drive into the city, that becomes my soundtrack. Um, I don't know. At least it has been the last bunch of weeks. Even a
2: couple slower ones for when you get stuck in that slow traffic, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I start questioning my life decisions. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you, you brought up an interesting point about the uh, like getting to that age where you start listening to all the music you listen to. You know, I, I heard a term the other day. I don't remember what I was watching or listening to. Um, but it kind of like explained this, this weird, like space that we're in now. And the term was monoculture. And I don't know if you've heard this term and I don't know if I'm, if I
0: have it blew right past me. No, no walk through it. What is that?
1: But, but the idea of monoculture is that, um, you know, maybe like the end of the nineties or early two thousands, we were at this peak place in our culture where we were all kind of consuming media from like
0: silos, like
1: the same source so yeah. you know this is the yeah. classic kind of like uh if you ever hear billy corgan like on joe rogan talk about this like everybody's watching mtv you know you're getting your new where everybody's listening to mainstream nice. radio and then these streaming services come out and it's like it's like now you, I, like i couldn't tell you who is on the top 40 anymore or yeah. anything like that yeah. and i'm discovering bands that like like bands that like broke up years ago, and they were super duper awesome. And it's like I'm glad I found them on Spotify, but I miss them yeah, too. Right. So yeah. we like we, we don't have that anymore. So then I, I I think that kind of feeds into this concept of like it's really easy to kind of like just listen to what what you're familiar with instead of going out to the ether and yeah get I, fed that. And
0: I I can't figure out. I mean, for you guys as a band, did you guys choose a really great time or a really shitty time to get into music professionally
3: like <laughs> oh
2: man I think that it's a shitty time and the reason okay. is because uh I mean it's not like the worst
0: <laughs> but I mean, in the Middle Ages, nobody would even know who you are and you could get shot in the court for singing the wrong song or something. So I guess right, that but, would always be but worse. The,
2: that, like, core music industry that everyone really loved, you know, that, like, uh, I was born in 83, so it's like you have all this uh, 90s music generation, MTV, like you mentioned. Uh, there, there's not really that kind of lucrative money in the music industry these days unless you're, like, backed by some other, you know, bigger entity, um so it's i don't know it i don't know if it's the greatest time but also like it's the best time to be able like we can make you can make your own music videos you can do all of these things that like used to cost a, a band a hundred thousand dollars of their yeah. budget you know you can yeah. do that for like two or three grand nowadays so yeah.
1: that's a good trade-off yeah the so you know the the barrier to entry is a lot lower these days yeah. I'll say, I'll say one thing that's, that's definitely interesting and I don't know if it's good or it's bad. I think it's probably bad. Um, but like our music scene, for example, um, you know, we're, we're the guys who are like in our late thirties and the older guys in the music scene, it seems like they are kind of operating under that, the older mentality, like, like, Oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna put our music on streaming. We're gonna You know, we're gonna, we got to sell these CDs and it's like like okay like great you know we kind of I guess the what I'm saying is we kind of gave up uh with that idea of making money off cds when we started this band it's like well what are cds it's like uh, is the goal to sell these things or is the goal to get the music out to the most people possible so
0: no it's it's weird because you look at um so many artists that are um and I was thinking like for you guys for actors for filmmakers it's that's right. The barrier entry has become so low, but then to stand out above the white noise is like a huge effort. You got to just, it's a marathon. You're all starting the New York city marathon at the same time. It's like, right. Some of us are going to finish first here, but I mean, you really got to hustle to get ahead of everybody else, but then people like the poets and some of the writers like that do um, kind of stripped down spoken word stuff. Like for them, it's great because the social context and all that, like they weren't, looking to do big RKO radio contracts anyway, you know, they're kind of like, Hey, this is great, man. I get discovered a lot easier, but it's a, di- it's a weird paradigm. Cause that's right. It's different than what we all grew up with. What did you, what were your influences growing up? Steve, I'll start with you. Like wh- what was your story with music? Where did you start with?
1: Man? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, that's let well, me still, think it, starts so early. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't like a lot of other kids growing up, you know, who wanted to be, you know, astronauts and stuff like that. I was more kind of interested in, you know, what bark on a tree was made out of stuff like that. Um, but I got, I got stuck on the, um, I say stuck, uh, my mom basically chose the saxophone for me, um, when I was, uh, in my early elementary school days and stuck me in private lessons when they realized I had an aptitude for it and, was forced to go every every single week of my life and like while I do value that experience on some level um it it, at a really early age it I, I wasn't conscious of this at the time but I would say like saxophone became work and not fun and uh that's when I picked up the guitar when I was 12 my parents uh I went and played this really like this this junior high concert and played this really big like solo in front of like the whole school and parents and my my dad comes up to after me up to me after the concert and says hey you know how much is that guitar you want from Guitar Center or whatever and that uh, was kind of weird but I was like oh yeah you know let's go check it out so I got my first guitar because I was listening to rock you know it was uh,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: especially junior high is very like tribal it's like you're either you know one of the rocker kids or you're one of the rapper kids or um and i was very like team rock um and being a band kid um i had a a really good understanding of the value of of playing with other people and and how that brings you along so i i just got right into starting bands with my friends um a lot of them were really bad uh but I Amazing. just kind of went from there, and and I stuck with saxophone, um all the way up until I wasn't forced to go to lessons anymore, which was probably like seventeen years old or so, and uh, stuck with guitar. And yeah, well, a lot that- of those early bands you were in, those people are still
2: in the music scene today. So it's like. When you go to play a show, it's like, oh, hey, you're that guy that was in this other band that we oh, played a show with like 15 years ago or whatever. So
0: where where is totally where was this? It, what what are you up and yeah, yeah, so, in
1: Washington? Yeah, so I I grew okay, up in, so, I, in a so much music. Of Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a suburb of Seattle called Kirkland.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and that's funny, Mac brings that up because I, I was in this band uh called Pro Bono for a while. And when I was a teenager, and I didn't know this, but uh our singer in jericho hill malcolm was like coming to see us play all the time he's you know a few years younger wow and another unique thing i'll say about this area um and i guess this speaks to the level of affluence and thus privilege um of being in in this area is all of the cities here all the smaller towns around seattle so seattle bellevue Woodinville, redmond um yeah everett they all had growing up teen centers and these teen centers were well funded they all had recording studios they all had stages they all had dark rooms they all had art studios um and it was really really cool as a teenager um because we had our own like club circuit all ages club circuit to play with the best equipment better than better than most bars in the area. And we got like early lessons on, um, you know, putting these shows together and promoting them and uh, selling merchandise and and having all our friends come out in a yes. in a safe, you know, all ages kind of place. Right. Um, and I think that was a really really valuable experience um, in you know learning some important skills like project management and <laughs> you know organizing stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it was just a really cool, unique thing. And honestly, I mean, I, I love Jericho Hill and everything, but I look back and playing and like, those were some of my most fun years where there wasn't like a ton of pressure and you know, the, yeah, yeah, a lot of fun.
0: Well, um, it's weird. Cause that, I mean, that was also just a really opportune time because artistically, I mean, you got Seattle's like blowing up in the mid nineties. Right. And it's just, you've got all this attention there. You're coming off of the grunge scene and everything. And then to, be well funded enough to go into these teen centers and be able to put that stuff together and learn all that the that back end. That's incredible. That's that's a that's awesome. That's how it should work ideally. <laughs> you know, that's really cool. So wh- the one thing I just want to pick up on, Steve, was uh, I guess your story sounds more induced than I thought it would. I thought you'd be like, yeah, so I was this artsy band dude or something, or I was really into you know, like I, this was an escape for me or something like that, but it sounds like you were like being marched in lockstep to, to saxophone lessons and, uh, um, into music a little bit. Would well, tell me first, tell me what that, what does that mean? When you say you were studying bark, what's that? Were you a nature kid? Who were you? Uh,
1: I've always been kind of, uh, uh, like, a a Jack of all trades masters of none kind of kid. Okay. Uh, I'm, undiagnosed ADHD for most of my childhood which kept me like like oh you know I I'm into this thing but no let's not finish that project and let's get into this next thing and um i'd say you know you're right in that the saxophone part is very formulaic um i mean they they even like uh my saxophone teacher chose what high school i went to that it was like that formulaic you know it's like you will go wow. and be in this jazz band at this high school um and but the guitar was really the the escape part of it. That was that okay. was, that was really, your thing. Okay. That was really more of the like, okay, let's get out of this this stuff, this mandated music stuff, and let's that's where the writing occurs. I, I don't want to say you can't write songs on on a saxophone, but uh, you could write melodies on a saxophone. You can write you can write songs on a guitar if that makes sense. So yep. th- there was the artistic escape. Um but I, I was I was a kid who was who was into all kinds of stuff, constantly getting in trouble and uh, you know, I don't think many of the neighborhood parents like me
0: very much. Um, what was your thing? What were you, what were you doing? Going around knocking over mailboxes or what was, uh, <laughs> I, it was really
1: just me and my best friend, Scott, just, just, we were just obnoxious. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Smart yeah. Assets, I, yeah, man, I don't think we ever really did anything like too dangerous really. Um, but we, you know, I don't know. We just got on people's nerves. I still get on people's nerves. So
0: it's not. I haven't really grown, but. And did you guys know each other back then in school, Mac? Were you guys oh, friends?
2: No. Uh, no, we met. I moved out here after I got out of the military in 2011. And I met through a series of other friends and from going to school. Um, we kind of met through those social circles and yes, he was just like, one day he was just like, "Hey, do you want to come play play guitar with me?" And I was, I just thought it would be him, and I just showed up and like, there's a drummer there, and there's bassist there, and uh, Malcolm, our singer, was there, and I was like, "Oh shit, what do I do?" You just got pimped <laughs> into a band,
0: yeah. Yeah. What, then- so was this college that you guys met? or what what's we say you met at school? What school did you guys?
2: Yeah. Uh, college, uh, uh that was, uh, Shoreline, Shoreline community college. Shoreline community
0: okay. College. All right. Yep. And were you there, were you there for music related reasons or was this just completely incidental? No,
1: uh, we're floating on that GI Bill yeah. life raft. Yep. Yeah.
0: Bitching. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Floating around on that raft. I was trying to get into, they have actually a good nursing program there. Um, and since I was a hospital foreman, um, That's kind of where I was at with things at the time and uh, ended up actually meeting my wife through that school too.
0: And uh, that's a whole story of its own, but yeah. but no, that's, that's a hell of a college experience. I mean, you got everything, you got the the post-military job, you got the art, you got the marriage. That's a, that's a full spectrum, uh, you know, service right there. So wait, so Mac, where were you from originally?
2: Uh, So I was born in upstate New York, Oh right but on. Okay. Most of my formative years in Tennessee. So, like when okay. I was like around twelve or thirteen, my parents moved us for a job down to Tennessee, and um, yeah, so I, I went to school down there. I am like almost the total opposite when it comes to music musicality that Steve is. I have no formal training. Um, my brother was in marching marching band and he played trumpet and I spent most of my teenage years making fun of him and the other band band people you know um and then when I was like 15 or 16 I guess um my parents had an old acoustic Yamaha guitar that was just buried away in the attic and uh I went and saw the band three doors down live back when kryptonite had first come out but before it had like really broken yeah at an outdoor venue where there were like 200 people and i remember being uh front stage and when they brought he brings out this guitar with all these green leds to play kryptonite and it was like the whole crowd just pushed me up against the front of the stage and i was like this is fucking awesome and uh yeah i left that show like i gotta learn how to play guitar and so I started to play that acoustic guitar. And um, I told my parents I wanted an electric one uh, for my birthday. And they were like, oh, we're not paying all that money. You're not even going to play it. Blah, blah, blah. Proof right, to that right. group us that you'll play this first. I, yeah, I played that shitty-ass acoustic guitar with the rusty strings for weeks. And uh, yeah, then on my birthday, my dad was like, all right. We went out and bought a uh, Fender Stratocaster and uh, you know, a little shitty crate, 15-watt amp. And uh, that that was kind of it. I, took, I had a cousin, my brother or my mom's cousin, he played acoustic guitar, but like folk,
0: Bob mm, Dylan yeah. type stuff. Yeah. So like
2: that was like knocking on heaven's door. That was like one of the first songs I learned. Okay. Um, and then everything from there on out was just kind of like play by ear or whatever. Like for me, playing guitar was always kind of a personal thing. It wasn't something I really did for other people. And honestly, it was never in any bands i just always just kind of played for myself even when i was in the military i brought a guitar with me and um occasionally i'd run into people that played but most people they occasionally I, I feel like you only get better at something in your life if you like kind of involve yourself in other people that are better than you because yeah. you learn things from them and then you can you can grow sure um, but in the military, I didn't really find that to be the case. Yeah, I found that to be like occasionally you'll run into some people that know what they're what they're doing, but you know mostly these are the people I ran across were people that could just play a lot of cover songs, but they didn't yep. like play anything for themselves. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of where I was at with it, and um, that's why uh, like so I don't play a lot of cover songs. When Steve had me come over for uh, that band practice i was like oh shit i don't know any songs like what am i gonna play like you guys don't want to play bob dylan (laughs) 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 so yeah it's just been kind of uh, a learning experience i mean even like the gear uh because jericho hill is like the first band the only band i've really been in i've been part Mm. of and um it's been really really interesting for me to like learn about the music scene and to see how uh i always say thing life is circles uh yeah like here in the music scene here in this this area everything is circles it's like you might talk to steve and he might mention somebody and then like you might talk to somebody else who's friends with the person he was mentioning you know yeah. like uh yeah uh i got a roommate who's uh he's like lived down the road from this guy we played shows with so it's just you know yeah. it's everything circles yep. and yep. Um,
0: and when you're on the right path, that's right. It all starts to link up. Everything starts to snap in when you're kind of doing what you're supposed to be doing.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that's right. so it's been, um, it's been an interesting journey. And uh, like, just, yeah. I mean, like when I first met Steve, I had uh, this little 25 watt uh, Mesa transatlantic, or it was 15 watts. It was just not enough to, to play in the bed. So it was like learning, like from primarily playing acoustic guitar to like oh, I guess I'm going to need a high gain amp to play in a band that's yeah. <laughs> loud. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So wait, so a, let, let, let's back up, though. So, Mac, what yeah. was your influence then? So, I mean, you're doing Dylan covers on your own, right? But, I mean, when in uh, those early yeah, formative but, years, what are you listening to? What's turning you uh, on?
2: Well, I was listening to parental-approved songs, you
0: know what I mean? Awesome. Okay. <laughs> a lot of, what, My Peter parents, Ball like, and Mary? Yeah
2: uh not to totally embarrass myself but uh before they became kind of cringy that they are now like creed when they first released uh like my own prison that song was the jam yeah. that, uh, after yeah. that album for like christmas or my birthday my parents saw the album cover and were like i don't know about this guy you know so uh they were into listening to like Beatles, 70s my dad was heavy into like 70s rock steve miller that so I grew up listening and being surrounded by a lot of different types of music. And my mom, she was all country. Um, but I always really liked uh, like pop rock, anything that like has a melody that your uh, brain can get latched on to. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, but, but it, like I've been to enough shows before I was in a band to like sit, you know, be in a crowd and be like, oh, I don't know about this band. So for me, it was like, like when i when it was like a decision to be in a band and to do this it was like i don't want to be like that i I want us to be something like different something a little bit more special and uh if we're honest to ourselves and to the music then it won't matter what we do because people will come and uh wait that's kind of what happened
0: yeah can i parse that a little bit so do you mean basically like you weren't going to try to find a middle of the road. You weren't going to try to be people pleasing. You were just going to do what you wanted to do. Is that what I'm hearing basically?
3: Yeah,
2: basically. I mean, um, we've done, we've, we've tried to do everything in the band to, um, to, to our own beat, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and it, so far it's worked out pretty well. I mean, we went to Nashville to record some stuff for a competition. That was and. That was something that like completely blew my mind as somebody who had never been in a band. I'm like, here we're getting flown to Nashville to record at Ocean Way Studio, where like the Spice Girls had their same, you know, like we shared a mic and headphones yeah. with uh, all these famous people. And uh, the the more I, I I live life, the more I realize that like uh, everybody is just human, and um, even the the most popular, even the, even the Spice Girls, even the most popular people in the world are just human, and they they try the, the best they can, and, and some of us get lucky,
0: while others
2: don't. And
0: but I, this I was—I
2: feel fortunate to be in the position I've, I've been in.
0: Yeah, no, and it, what's strange is how much it seems like this wasn't intentional. Am I? Is that right, Steve? Was this intent? I mean, obviously, you had a band because you suckered Mac into showing up and going hey here's a band why don't you start playing <laughs> so I mean were you like sitting there twirling your mustache developing these plots and plans or was this like oh hey I, I know you and I know you and I know you and let's just put this together and I think there's something here
1: um so I'll go back in time just a little bit for some context in that yeah. when when you start out playing as a teenager and stuff like that like you have you have delusions of grandeur at that point right. Like, I'm going to put together the band. We're going to write a song. We're right. going to make it. Right. And uh you you know, you realize you know most people realize pretty quickly that like okay, that's you know, yeah, let's let's do this and let's give it our all, but like let's be realistic here about, you know, what that means and our likelihood of success in that. Um but for me, it was always, regardless of of what band I was playing with, it was always about like I I just need to I need to be playing. Um, it so much to the point where like when I was in the army, like I had a band that like if you want to talk about that at, at some point and a oh we'll get yeah,
0: to yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah there, sure. was, there was
1: there was there wasn't I, I had a like a fairly successful band in the army that we put together when we were in Iraq I was playing there and um, when, when it came came time to get out of the army and move back home um it was like okay well what's you know i don't have a i don't have a band now and this is this is something that just this is my therapy this is this is what i need in my life um and so it was always just about like running into the right people and uh you know thinking like okay hey you know let's let's start something together and uh when I got out of the army and I was looking for something to do with myself, um I actually took a job working at Starbucks for a little bit. Um, which um no offense to anybody uh who's ever worked at a Starbucks, but not for me. Uh I lasted about
0: are you allowed to say that in the greater Seattle, Washington area? I feel like that's, here, that's we like so an obvious much good coffee and oh, oh, so yeah, much yeah, good yeah. coffee
1: in Seattle, like Starbucks, like yeah, those let the tourists yeah. fight that one out uh you yeah. uh, <laughs> know mac went to starbucks earlier trader. um no it's uh so i was working there that's where i that's where i really met malcolm even though me and malcolm like you know didn't live too far from each other uh he was younger um and we both kind of connected on you know on that level and uh, i stopped working at starbucks but i remained friends with him um and then you know trying to get on that gi bill life raft as we call it, um, and stay afloat in life, uh, going to shoreline and, um, meeting Mac. Um, I remember our, our first musical encounter a little differently than, uh, than he does. I remember going over to your house for that first time, the one that was in shoreline and, you know, me knocking on the door and you would just open the door and peek through like very warily who, like, who are you? <laughs> he actually, he actually was living with my best friend's little brother um and oh, that's right yeah and yeah. and i went into his house and he had this really beautiful taylor acoustic guitar sitting over there and i was like oh dude it's a nice guitar can you know can i play it and so i picked up and play you know played a little bit and we started talking about music and we became friends and um when we decided that like let's let's start playing guitar together more often my mind immediately you know went to like who can we get to sing who can we get to you know and Malcolm Kid, yeah. um sure. And
0: so it, but you're always programmed looking for a band. It sounds like it sounds like wherever you go, you need a band. You're an institutionalist. You're going to start building a band somewhere, right?
1: In a very selfish way, yes. Yeah. Just yeah. Honestly, because it's kind of it's kind of what I what I what I need. Yeah. Um, and it's it the intent is never like let's go, you know, try to be rock stars on MTV. Um, like some of the people in our music scene that we know, and you know, good good on them. I'm I'm happy that they have goals and ambitions and um but it was always like let's just let's just get in there, let's just have a good time. And yeah, you know, if something comes out of it, cool. But this is this is really just an escape. So
0: Um, so then Steve, when you were before we even get into the military piece with each of you guys. What would you say are your biggest influences then? I mean, you've had these bands in high school, so you've kind of had your reps there, but what are you gravitating towards? Are you finding strengths and weaknesses? Are you finding things that you like um, that you're like, yeah, I want to keep doing more of this, or there's something else I want to get to, or there's this band is almost where I would want a band to be that I'm a part of for a long time, but it's, there's one or two things still missing. Where are you at just musically?
1: And your first question of influences that's i mean that's that's a really really kind of broad thing for me in that you know i was listening to a lot of the seattle grunge stuff growing up and so i i never had a a lot of aspirations to be like a big shredder guitar player Mm -hmm. um nor, nor the talent to do that um my guitar solos aren't anything special and i think part of that is just because i i spent so much time you know learning how to play nirvana songs or green day songs and stuff like that but i really love technical guitar playing so i like chase that a little bit um mm. man uh trying to think well you know like yanni um mm. you know i don't know if you're too familiar with yanni he's sure. uh he's he's a he's somebody i would consider a hero you know the music that he's created over the years. I don't listen to it, but I don't. I respect that he's out there doing it. Um,
0: okay, I wouldn't. I wouldn't guess that. You got me on one. Okay, that's good. Okay. Uh,
1: uh, uh, let's see. Uh, and, and where we are as a band, like, would I? Is your question? Would I? Do I want it to be somewhere else or do something well, else? Or- no.
0: I mean, so as you're as you're kind of getting through high school and you're going from you're you're in a band. You're playing, you're gigging, and it's and you have this kind of regimented musical uh, thing that's been forced on you with the saxophone. Anyway, I mean, do you are you starting to develop your own sensibility though about what you want and like? You know, just like somebody that's worked a bunch of jobs, had a bunch of shitty bosses, they're like, I know exactly the kind of boss I want to be when I become the boss. Are you kind of going through those repetitions where you're like, I know exactly the kind of band that I want, and we're not there yet, or this isn't it, or are you just taking it as it comes and like, oh, okay, this is fine for right now?
1: I'm I'm taking it as it comes. I think I could always tell you, like, oh man, if I could be in any band or have the business model of any band, you know, uh, I I, I probably would have an answer for you like that. But I was always I I've, I've always been a strict believer that bands are really going to be what bands are going to be, and that everybody who's part of that band is going to, you know, bring their influence into it. And that's kind of the cool part of it. Um, so let's just let it flow and see what we sound like and make adjustments from there. Um, Like Malcolm, you know, bless his heart. Malcolm is a very, very eighties metal influenced dude. And it comes out in his work (laughs) and um, you know, he's a phenomenal singer. Um, You know, but if you are not into that 80s stuff, like you might not be into what Malcolm's doing Um, and it's, it's just what happened. Um, you know, if I, like, if I could put, if I could choose a career of any band and say, I would want a band to be there. I mean, I don't know. Um, you know, I love thrice. Those guys are still out there doing it to her and having a good time making killer music. Um, that would be a cool career. That'd be cool goal to have your band do that. But I just don't know if that's, that's ever going to be realistic again to get a band to that spot.
0: So let me, let me. We're gonna jump around a little bit in the timeline. So let's talk Jericho Hill right now um, for a second. How how much do you guys really put your thumb on the scale and try to who's basically who's driving the ship? Who's going, hey man, this is the sound I want. This is the this is what we're going for. Like what's the development process? What's the how do you guys come up with the stuff and who's really the pushing the artistic aesthetic it, there?
1: it's, colla- it's, it's it, collaborative it's very collaborative okay it's super collaborative. All right. so it's just
0: coming from jam sessions is that what's happening you guys uh, get in a room and you start working it out
2: it'll be like like sometimes i'll write a riff on my own that i'm like hmm i kind of like this riff but then like we'll be practice we'll be like just doing a regular practice playing through songs and i'll be like let me just try to play this riff here and see if i can get re-. like if somebody gets a reaction i'll be like okay so now all right we're on to something here and then like if I can get other people to join in on it, then that's even better. That's how uh, Take Notice happened. Got
3: um, you.
2: So, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. He, and then Steve brings, he brings riffs to the table too. Fuel of the Fire was a, a riff that Steve brought to the table. And I don't know, we, everybody, and sometimes even uh, Malcolm. um still my, Be still my beating Heart. Still My beating Heart is a riff that Malcolm, our singer, wrote on guitar or bass or whatever like years ago
3: huh.
2: and he just always wanted to turn into a song and we
1: were like oh it's cool riff yeah let's work with it let's see what we could do it's very guitar driven in that i guess and that we you know we usually will we'll you know play at home come up with something bring it to the band uh adam will you know put a drum beat to it malcolm will put some melody vocal melody to it and we'll start working it from that angle i will say that most of the um, Suicide Jack album. Um uh, somebody's car alarm's going off. Uh the Suicide Jack album, a lot of those riffs were riffs that Mac had had just written by himself over the years or played around with that weren't whole ideas. Um, and they were really cool. And that was one of the really exciting things about working with Mac initially was, you know, here's this person who's got a distinctly different and very private music story. And he's got all these really, really, really great ideas that that he didn't necessarily, um, and this isn't a dig on you no, Mac, at all. I didn't he, have the music theory well, knowledge to put them all together. Right? Like he, he didn't. <laughs> he, he hadn't played with other people that kind of understand like how to make things go to the next level. So yeah. getting in there with him and like hearing this person with all these fresh ideas and all these really cool riff ideas, it was really easy for us to to piece together a lot of this stuff. And that's really one of the big advantages of, you know, working in a collaborative way and allowing everybody's influences to play into it is uh, you get kind of stuck in a silo um, with your own influences. So I'll sit there and play guitar and I'll kind of hit a plateau and be like, you know, I'm kind of playing the same stuff over and over again. And then you bring somebody else into the fold and, and get their perspective and it's different and it's very inspiring. So that, That's a really good way to work for us.
0: But it was never um, it was never completely off the reservation, right? I mean, you guys were kind of in that vein to begin with before Mac came in, right? And then Mac, when he came in, had his own ideas and that you guys kind of ran with them, but it wasn't like you were doing like like you know, police stuff from like 1983 or something and going, Oh, holy shit, I guess let's go in a whole different direction. It was kind of you you were all kind of vibing off the same thing a little bit, right?
1: yeah yeah Yeah, we're all we're all kind of uh from the same (laughs) i
0: i I, I love i love that take i i i feel like i'm like okay i guess i just put words in your mouth but all right yeah if that's the case
1: these are just honestly these are great questions because these are things we we haven't really like thought about uh and and to be clear like it was me and mac we were we were really the start of the band like when i first like when we went to snacks's basement
2: our original drummer uh that's like when i think of jericho start, hill starting that's when i think of it starting it was the day i went to his basement and uh it uh it's just it's been a i don't know man it's just been an interesting
1: journey i guess like mac and i had been playing like, a little bit before the whole band got together yeah, okay a little bit okay. we've been putting ideas right. to on the table but no, to answer your question more specifically yeah we we're, we're all vibing on the same stuff like ideally when you put a band together you try to at least I don't know. I, I try to find people who are on the same page.
0: Yeah. Um, but when Max's coming in and going, hey, I guess you guys don't play Dylan or something. I mean, like, I mean, he he was coming a little out of left field, wasn't he? I mean, he wasn't like right in the same entirely, wheelhouse.
2: Yeah. Well, like, despite the fact that I listen to those types of things when I write my own music, I don't think that they come off as Bob Dylan songs or okay. anything like that. They're just their own like unique ideas, and so. like when we we were in that basement playing, uh, I think Suicide Jack was one of the first songs that we started to kind of jam on and uh, it's been interesting to watch everything evolve um, you know, and um, because the whole being in a band process is uh, is like a kind of an impermeant one, you know, where uh, sometimes people come and go so, um, like we were lucky to play with Adam, but uh adam's our current drummer the first time i played with adam was at a show i literally came back from japan and then like that next day we played a show together (laughs) so so uh it's you know uh i i was a little worried about that but steve was just like yo man i mean if you play with one drummer you can play with any drummer you're just playing the same song (laughs) basically you know like his vibe's going to be different and um but it's been really great because um You know, our album was also recorded with a guy named Nick, um, and uh, Nick and Adam have been playing together in bands for years. So, like, when you run into that kind of situation, people are really locked in with each other. And that's what, like, when I was mentioning, uh, if you've ever been to, like, uh, somebody's like, hey, come to my show, and then you go to, like, a bar, it's a shitty bar, and then you hear them, and you're like, "Mm, okay, okay, Right. It's that locked inness that I think kind of like helps. That's like maybe the one of the first steps to being a better band. You know, like y- y'all got to be like locked in with each other and vibing, um, because the audience feels that, and, and you want the audience to kind of be with you in that moment. Otherwise, it just feels awkward. Yeah. It feels awkward. Like we played this show at this venue. What's that venue where the bathroom was, like right at the stage? Oh, that was the that was the one of Woodville, the something sal. oh so my I God. Like it. literally, I'm playing our set. And so like in the middle of a song, this lady is like, Hey, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm like, what? I gotta, I gotta like complain. I gotta like walk away from the door so this lady could like go to the bathroom in the middle of our set.
0: That's freaking brilliant. That's Spinal Tap ish. I love it. That's freaking awesome. Well, it's funny because your stage presence too, Mac. I like that's one of the things I noticed when I you know started getting into you guys and just you know stalking you on YouTube and and seeing different videos and all that. But it's pretty funny because it's like, uh, this, this is just my take. I don't know if you guys are always like this, but what I saw was like everybody just fucking getting into it. And Max just sitting there, just like plinking away. And I was like, Jesus. I was like, he's like either next level or he's like the puppet master there pulling straight. I don't know. There's something like where I could see somebody going, oh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, he's not. He's, he's good to go. I can tap him on the shoulder and just go use the bathroom behind him or something. I don't know. It's just got, you have a different vibe up there. It's, um, I think it's very cool because I love shit like that. I love seeing when it's asynchronous from like what you would expect, like listening to it. I just mm-hmm. pictured, pictured like when I saw a Malcolm on one of his shows. I don't know, that something he always does when he has that big, like, medieval hook nose thing that he wears oh, yeah, or whatever. Oh, that Yeah, yeah that, that was, thing.
2: Uh... that's part of the deeper we can get into that if you want the the marketing of the cd the that was uh that was kind of fun but a little stressful from the art like because we did all the art except for the the hand-drawn a friend of mine uh who's also in the military uh nathan his wife she's this incredibly talented uh artist her name's kristen Harrison, and she did the uh the like hand-drawn part of our album artwork but all the rest of it like all it's all done through photoshop and
1: uh it was it was really fun to to do that malcolm That's- malcolm's very much all about the is a very lead singer he's, he's yeah. all about the imagery on stage and the theatrics of it and uh you know that that can sometimes be a, a point of contention um you know, just Malcolm's a little bit more conscious of our image than say I am. Like, I'm the dude who huh. just like, I will I will show up in my, you know cargo shorts and black t-shirt anywhere to do anything and, you know Malcolm. Just let the music like, do
0: the talking, yeah
1: yeah. like, man, what do you like? Like, come on, man dress like you're in a band. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> and you, just you gotta, gotta wear all black
0: Yeah,
2: you gotta wear all black you gotta have a very stoic looking face Maybe, maybe like look a little mean.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's funny, man, because yeah, when I, I mean, obviously, I listened to you guys a bunch before I ever saw you. So it's always kind of trippy to like see, oh, this is actually what they look like when they're playing. And like, based off what you're like, what's going on in your head and what you're imagining, I was like, and to be honest, like, and I, I, I'm trying to recall exactly what I thought, but I think if I remember <laughs> right, I think, I think I remember going, Malcolm, yep okay, that makes sense. Like everything, the tonal inflection, everything seemed seemed like, yep, that's about what I would expect. Everybody in the band seemed exactly what I expect. I think really it was just you, Mac. I think that was the piece that threw me. I was just like, wait, what? What's going on over there? What's he doing? Because you're just like, and then maybe it was the way the video was shot or something, but you're just kind of staying off to the side and it's just and it was like, and it was but just very in control. It's very operator-ish. You're just sitting there just like, yeah, I'm doing this thing. I'm just I, but I'm I'm um, and I'm into it, but I'm uh, I'm not going to be your uh, I'm not going to pimp myself out for it. Like, I'm just here. I'm not, I don't feel any compulsion to have to, like, go along, like, and, and really thrash into it or something. I don't know. Maybe it was just the video. But to me, that was shit like that amuses the hell out of me because I'm like, it's just one of those things that catches in your mind. and makes you go, oh, man, that's cool. I would never have thought of that. I would never have staged it that way. So I don't know. That's my take on it. He's just cool as a cucumber. <laughs> He's understandable. I guess he, see, he's still playing by himself. He's still over there just, just, just working out the melodies himself. I've yeah. never
2: had a problem with playing with myself. <laughs> so that's, a good, that's as good is. a
0: segue as we could get to go into the military. So let's do that. <laughs> so uh, so neither of you guys, it seems like, had any reason to go into the military. It doesn't seem like either of your lives beforehand would have pointed you towards the military. So how did that happen? Oh, God. I...
2: But you were in the military first. Go for it. You you were in sooner than me. Um,
1: so growing up in a in a in a more affluent situation, I was lucky from an early age to me and my older sister were lucky to get a lot of traveling done. And um, my sister has a, a real passion for all things French and um, is a uh, now a, a professor uh, of the French language. Um, so we had a lot of, um, exchange students coming through our house and I started taking French and I could, I could speak French really, really well. And, um, I got this call from a recruiter one day. Um, can, can I just stop you know? for one
0: second? This yeah. is the best. How did I join the military story I've ever heard? I've never oh, heard really? somebody start with. So the thing is, is I, I really started getting to get Fran- into French stuff because, My sister was into speaking French. Like, never heard that that approach to join the military. So I just love that. This is starting.
1: It's. I mean, I don't want to give my sister too much credit. Like, I love my sister to death, but my sister, man, she she's as obnoxious as me, if not more obnoxious, um, especially about her French stuff. Um, But she's she's a she's a damn good linguist, and uh, so I get this call. You know, I'm. Both of us had an aptitude for, for foreign languages. Um, and I get a call from a recruiter one day saying, Hey, you know, uh, how'd you like to how'd you like to speak French in the army? And I was like, um, I, I had, you know, I had looked into things in the army and because they had cool commercials on TV and stuff. So I knew a little bit about, about stuff that was going on in the army. And I said, Well, you know, um, I know you guys got this language school down in Monterey Defense Language Institute down there. How about how about you send me down down there to learn a different language? So I'm like, what the heck am I going to do with French in the army? Like, um, and so I went down the the trail with the recruiter. Um, Yeah, I, you know, I had to go take this like, um the so what i'm getting is i'm getting into the intelligence field at this point so i want you know i want to learn another language and i had to go down to like maps and take this thing called the d lab the defense language aptitude right. battery it's basically you know you're like you're like figuring out like decoding this this gibberish language that they give you um do you remember I, what you I,
0: scored do you remember how you uh, scored on I,
1: I i know i got the max score on it i don't remember what that number right. was hundred and something 130 something like that maybe That's 120 yeah yeah, yeah. Something like that. yeah yeah um yeah. And like, I didn't know what that meant at the time. Um, And so I, uh, I ended up joining as at that time, it was a a 98 golf, which is a a signal intelligence interceptor slash cryptologic linguist. Um, And I think they changed when I was in now it's a 35 papa. Um, And I got, you know, sent to DLI um, and they taught me Chinese Mandarin, um, which time, went to China a few times uh, in that learning process and stuff. And um, after getting out of Intel school, um, I got sent to uh, Hawaii um, 25th ID where they were basically like, Oh, your units deployed uh, forward to Iraq. Um, You're leaving, you know, plane leaves from over there. Good luck. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do in Iraq? there There are Chinese people in Iraq. You know here i spent all this time learning how to like eavesdrop on the chinese military and the iraq mission ended up being really 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 cool um in itself but i just you know watch my chinese skill rot away essentially
0: sure do you still um, speak any
1: yeah i do um i i try to keep it up you know where i can um order a lot of food <laughs> uh uh my uh, in my line of work, uh, I have a lot of coworkers who are in different parts of the world, so there's always opportunities to speak right. with my coworkers who speak
0: Chinese and stuff like that. And, and um, so, how was this all? I mean, now that you're you were kind of fell into the army, and obviously, you're you're taking advantage of it pretty early on and doing. I mean, that's really exploiting the opportunity in a way that a lot of first contract guys don't do. Did you were you feeling comfortable with that, or were you like yeah. Okay. This is good for a little bit. Thanks for the skills, and I'm out of here. How was it rubbing you to be in the military?
1: Um, there was a lot of resentment. Um, there was a lot of resentment in that. Um, I felt like, like uh, there was a lot of wasted money, um, mm-hmm. and it made me uh, a pretty unpopular. I think, especially among my leadership. Um, my my entire unit was um, my entire company. Was either Chinese Mandarin or Korean or Tagalog linguists, and we all were deployed to Iraq, and then they went to they went back to Iraq like a year after we got back from that deployment. And it's like, what, like, why didn't you just teach us Arabic? Like, you know, uh, <laughs> um, I, I always made the joke, like, threatening to call the fraud, waste, and abuse hotline on myself, um, which. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um and I did actually one time and I left a message and nobody ever called me back. <laughs> um but you know there it, it, it was a lot of resentment um uh when when I first got that I still tried my best and, and the job in Iraq was really interesting the whole SIGINT terminal guidance thing um it was really exciting and um it was it was really cool because that that's part of the intel field where you actually get to see the whole process of, you know, rolling up a bad guy from like, you're there when you initially make the first voice intercept and, you know, have your Arabic interpreter translate it and figure out like, Oh, he's, you know, he's talking about bombs, not watermelons. And, um, and then, you know, being able to like triangulate positions and then calling up, you know, the infantry guys who support you and saying, Hey, we got a mission to go, you know, let's take the special truck out and, with you guys and let's go get this dude. Um, and then you get to be there and you know, when they're captured, sure. you, go, sure. you know, maybe even listen into the interrogation and then, you know, so it was really cool. And was exciting. You know, you know, one of the Intel guys who, you know, got to occasionally go outside the wire and stuff. Um, but still in the end, like I felt angry that like I had this really great skill that I was given that the army just didn't care about. Um, and uh, I think, oh, and and eventually, like, um, I I injured my back pretty bad, and
3: uh, that's a fun story. <laughs> um,
1: I'll tell you this about about having an injury in the army. Um, this is one of the spots where army culture at the time, you know, this is 2007, um, where you know I assume it still needs some work, but you probably understand this so that like as soon as you go on profile and this wasn't my choice this was me going to the doctor you know i've i've got a problem and then taking imaging yeah. and the doctor saying holy you know we have to put you on profile you can't do this stuff the second then i went on profile in the army the second i was on profile even though it was you know it wasn't me shamming. i was persona non grata i was i was a piece of shit at that point i went from being a a, a good soldier who was you know promotable and you know to to just being treated like crap and that was really kind of the the straw the book broke yep. the camel's back um pun a not kind of intended. Yeah, right. uh, it was like you know i you know what if they're, they're going to chapter me i was i wasn't deployable at that point when we got back from that deployment so i you know they and we were told at that time well if you're not deployable you can't stay in the army and I was like you know what fine you know you guys are going to treat me like I'm a, you know now you know not important to the unit and, and just like crap then then forget it i'm not going to make any kind of case to want to stay in here um so i kind of I, I i feel like uh you know it, there was a lot of resentment and kind of bad vibes leaving um and that's yeah I don't know if that answers your question. No, that that does. That
0: answers it a lot. I mean, I think there's. I think that's pretty common. That it's. Um, I think a lot of people do leave with a bad taste in their mouth um, when they leave the military. And I think uh, in your case, just because of what you had initially fallen into as a job field, I mean, did you think at any point that hey, this might actually be my career? I mean, had there were times so that the breakup is even that much harder because it's like, Hey, I, I really was ready to commit to you, but now you guys aren't, aren't worth it. Before,
1: before my injury, um, I was, you know, reaching out to branch and talking about like, maybe I wanted to go do a defense attache, attache job um, related to my Chinese. And there, there was a lot of stuff going on at that time with the Iraq war and Afghanistan War where they were, you know, they were really trying to make this big push. It's like, well, if you have it deployed, you know, you, you know, you need to deploy. And so um, I had at that point, you know, had deployed. So I felt like I had a little, a few more options to choose something a little cushier after that. Um, and so I was in talks with um, our branch manager about maybe doing um, a, a defense attache kind of thing in China, um, you know, getting back to using those Chinese skills Um but after after the injury happened, it yeah. it just changed that, and then it became more about like, well, if this is if this is the culture at this point, um, and they don't want me to stay in anyways, and I'm just gonna go home. So
0: you were an officer? No,
1: I was I was enlisted.
0: Okay, you were enlisted. Okay, yeah. so, you, so there was an attaché job they were gonna give you as a as they, a they, junior enlisted guy.
1: Yeah, they had they oh, had uh oh. they had, um, NCO positions.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, oh, wow. I think
1: they, they had E4 positions too. Um, it was in that office. So I, I don't gotcha. think I actually got to be there. Gotcha. The yeah. yeah.
0: So, so how many years in were you when you uh, left? Was it, it was six five. years, five years? And now um, when you were leaving, what's the emotion? I mean, obviously you're glad to be gone probably because you're a little disillusioned with all of it. But is there a sense of holy shit? I'm five years behind the curve of where I should be, or it was a sense of, hey, these are leverageable skills that I can move, use moving forward.
1: Uh, I squandered the, um, the initial release from the army time. A lot of people in my field, um, especially, you know, as we have active TS clearances and stuff like that, a lot of people go straight to, you know, working for the SAIC, the Booz Allen Hamilton's and going into those contract jobs. I was so disillusioned by the whole thing that I was just like, I'm just going to go straight home and get, draw unemployment and just figure this out. Um, And uh, I like, I didn't want anything to do with um any DOD kind of stuff at that point, Um, which, you know, in the end, like things turned out okay, but you know, I might've done uh, like knowing what I know now and yeah. how that Starbucks yeah. job went. I, I I might've made a different choice um, if I, if I hadn't been so bitter about the whole thing.
0: So let's loop back in the music, um, how musically this was the I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like this was the first time in your life that music hadn't been one of the bigger, if not the biggest priorities, right? You weren't being forced to go to music lessons. You weren't, you didn't have band commitments or anything like that. You're out there doing something completely wildly different was music still a big factor
1: yeah um and I'll, i'm not just to throw this out there before i forget my mom's probably gonna be pissed at me for making it sound like she tortured me with saxophone she listens <laughs> to this, um uh there was good in the saxophone stuff too um <laughs> uh so actually while i was in um the urge to be in a band did not disappear and i leveraged that so when we were in iraq um we were in northern iraq and kirkuk a, a big base called fob warrior um and i uh you know i again i got there when my uh unit was already deployed i got to 25th id I, I didn't know anyone this was also part of like a really stressful time because when you get there and all the only people who are there are rear d even yeah. somebody in your own company and can't tell a chinese linguist what they're going to be doing in Iraq. Like they, I didn't even know that they had a way to get a hold of my unit over there and I could have talked to them. This person who was in charge of me did, man, they did not do me any favors. I was stressing out the whole time. I get there and I meet people in my unit and I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. Everybody's nice. Uh, and I quickly start making friends. Um, I bring my guitar with me. Um, and so that kind of drew other people who were musicians, um, you know, to me and we, we found each other. Um, but this was also kind of start, the start of um, kind of where my bad experience in terms of military culture went. And I'll get to that in a second. But when we were in, when I was in Iraq, we formed a band because there was this cool little chapel there that had all these instruments in it. I mean, I had guitars, amps,
0: drums, and everything like that. So we put together a band over there. Um Wait, why why did it have all that? Was that like MWR stuff that got shipped over, or what? what yeah, is yeah. Okay. I don't know. Right.
1: If the, I don't know if the church that was on there specifically was MWR. Okay. Um, but there was also a big, huge MWR thing that had stuff like that too. Yeah, there was all this, and, you know, and it was cool at the time too because we could have pretty much anything shipped um, to an APO. So we, you know, we had our own instruments shipped, so we didn't share with the other people. We bought like amps and all kinds of stuff, and so the band that we had over there, uh, we started just playing stuff. We wrote our own songs. Uh, we got with this great singer named Phil. Um, and, <laughs> um, I, I won't go too deep into the in the Phil story, uh, but uh, we we started playing. And um, uh, Mike Schmidt was another guy who played guitar in this band. And we we started playing on bass. Um, we got asked to open up for. Um, like the, the, um, they weren't, they weren't, what do you call it? um uh, you know, the bit, the bands that come through and play like the big ones. Uh, it wasn't a USO, it was some other yeah. organization like Stars for Stripes or something like okay. that.
0: Okay. All right. So
1: we got asked to like open up for like OAR and Josh Grayson, um, huh. which, uh, oh, <laughs> the Josh, <laughs> we didn't actually get to play before Josh Grayson because Josh Grayson's manager was there and showed up and saw that we had all our gear set up on stage to open up for him and this was by direction of you know our csm he's like he was really proud that there was like this band playing in iraq and sure it's like you guys gonna go open up for them and that their manager came out this british guy just threw a bit like get all this shit off the stage and everything like um and uh (laughs) yeah it was um uh that he wasn't was feeling the
0: alliance yeah he wasn't feeling no. all warm fuzzy about that okay yeah. uh
1: <laughs> but uh so, so we had this band going and we we actually uh we kept it going when we got back to hawaii and played pretty heavily in the hawaii music scene for the the year after that uh, i remained in the army and um so there was that like that still was a priority in my life it was still happening i was still gonna have a band and play music and um, th- that band met its end when, um, when me and Phil were both discharged from the army at similar times. So we okay. just went our separate ways and Phil, unfortunately went and he had a little bit of a rough time. Um, but yeah, he went back to, I went to come back, came back home to Seattle and
0: yeah. And what, what was your, I mean, now with the benefit of hindsight, what was the, um, What was the purpose of the band i mean doing it in a combat zone when i'm assuming your op tempo was high enough that you could have easily foregone a band was it did you think hey this is a social thing or was it um was there a therapeutic reason behind it or was it just hey this is like working out for me i've done this my whole life i've had bands i've been around music i it's something i got to do everywhere i go
1: all of the above um in a sigint kind of situation we had a pretty consistent work schedule um so it was it was a little easier to do um uh that and you know our our command was really they were really good about making sure that you know our downtime was our downtime you know we we Mm -hmm. hit it hard when it was time to work but you know just let somebody know where on base you're going you know in case they think it's you know hit with something and we mm-hmm. need to find you. Um, and especially when we started getting attention from like, uh, like the, the army times and um, like AFN and stuff like that. Like the, that's when the the higher up folks were really into the idea. Like, Oh, Hey, my soldiers are getting, you know, positive yeah. attention. like they were really supportive of it. And, you know, sometimes they'd give us like a little bit of time off if, you know, we were going to be part of something. Um, but, you know, we still, it was definitely therapeutic and it was definitely just something to keep our, you know, keep busy, Yeah, like not, yeah. not go back to our room and, you know, think about how much it sucked to be in Iraq. And we, we were there during the surge, so we got extended. We we were sitting in the, the DFAC watching TV one night and Bush came on and it's like the following units are, you know, going to stay here for longer. So my unit ended up staying there for like 15 months.
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah.
1: So there was, you know, there was a lot to be pissed about while we were there. And this was just one way to just like pass the time and like yep. keep, keep busy and, and think about like, uh, on the horizon, what was coming musically. Like we got this band, we're gonna, we were in contact with other bands in Hawaii while we were there planning out where we we're gonna play when we got back and, uh, just getting ready for the homecoming and how we we're gonna move the band forward. So they're, it, it kind of just kept us in a in a positive mindset
0: for when we got home. so one thing we uh, we haven't talked about, and I just want to segue to it really quickly. how was your musicianship? Was it improving? or was it like, hey, I'm basically maintaining I mean, did you find yourself going, hey, I'm discover you know I'm playing enough with enough repetitions. I'm starting to discover x, y, and z or I'm realizing I can do this or you know, I'm just I don't know, my fretwork's getting better. I, I don't know. I mean, was there anything like that or was it like, Dude, I'm just trying to play just to, yeah, keep the bad juju away and and you know, I'm happy if we're making some nice music, but that's really it.
1: My ability to practice has always kind of ebbed and flowed. Um, I always felt like if i could if I could have been if I could have been really good about practicing, I could have been a lot better at a lot of things. and it just I did make some drastic improvements because I just had you know, like I had to pick up that guitar to not go into a bad mental place when I was there. Um, but I don't know. It's it's just been kind of like a, a long, slow, slow improvement in my musicianship and not anything rapid. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've been on a plateau for a long time now.
0: Hey, what has Mac done about that? Now, having, When Mac came into the band, like, and now here's this dude that's been jamming by himself, See, I didn't say playing by yourself. I said jamming by yourself now. Um, so so now, I mean, like, was was that a, um, and I'm, I'm totally spitballing here, so correct me if I'm off, but did that kind of light something for you guys? Where, I mean, obviously, you guys were the core of the band starting up, but did that kind of like go, hey, this is what I've needed? This is the uh, kind of creative input that I needed and be able to bounce things off of, and this allows us to really generate something that's going to last?
1: Was it? yeah um so i think there's there's a couple different scenarios that can exist when you're starting up a band starting to play with new people there's the like okay this is okay you know we're having fun and you know maybe you you know don't end up being super proactive about meeting up again um or there's the, the scenario where you there's a lot of synergy that naturally happens there and there's just a really good flow of ideas and then it's it it creates a lot of uh excitement enthusiasm uh, inspiration and uh you can't wait to get in a room with that person again and i feel like that's um that's what happened with matt um and wow that's you know, it, it's it's kind of like one of those things like the spark is there or it's not. Yeah. Um and it was it was there. Um and we like it it kind of snowballed like we were, you know, a couple days so, playing in a room and then before you know we're playing with a whole you, group of guys. Do you play any instruments, Chris? Us?
0: I used to be a bassist back in high school and junior high, because that was oh, my oh, instrument because I, I loved like I love Les Claypool. I love Getty Lee. I just always loved the bassist and those, those bands that were bass driven. I always really liked. Um, and I could never get a band. I actually, uh, I'll, I'll just throw this out here. because I'll never talk about it again, That's but fine. I was the guy, I was the guy that was so image conscious. I would go up to guys and go, Hey, do you play guitar? Cause you look like you should play guitar. And they'd be like, <laughs> no, I don't fucking play guitar. And I'm like, like it's a guy, well guys like, no, I'm a swimmer. And I'm like, Dude, think about playing guitar, because I play bass, and it'd be really cool if you could play guitar. And it was, it was not the right way of going about trying to find a band. So that never really worked out for me.
2: Yeah, the uh the reason I ask is uh, my experience with playing with other people, uh not to get too intimate here, but I think it's kind of like sex. Like uh it either works with another person or it doesn't work, you know, like you're like, okay, this is great, or I'm gonna move on. And uh like when we played it was just like a there's like a different level of like excitement when I was playing with other people where I was like, oh wow, it's like uh like the uh uh the solo for Be Still My Beating Heart, like that uh like solo guitar moment that happens was like it literally happened totally organically, like it was already written and we hadn't like we we'd never like it mm-hmm. just happened when we were playing one day.
3: Got so you. um,
2: like with music, I think it either works or it doesn't work. Or like Steve was saying, you know, maybe you get together with someone and you're like, eh, but how much do you want to pursue it? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes yeah. sense. That makes a ton of sense. So Mac. So for you, um, I guess, well, I guess we should fully develop this because otherwise I'll get ADD and I'll just jump to, where the segues naturally. Um, sure. talk, let's talk about the military piece. So how the hell did you end up in the Navy?
2: Uh, good question. So I had, uh, so i finished high school in 2002 and then, uh, was under a lot of pressure from my parents to go to a four, to four year college. Uh, so that's my parent, neither of my parents got to go to college and, um, uh, I think they really wanted that for me, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm just, I'm a fairly indecisive person, I guess. And, uh, I know that's not a positive thing, but, uh, what, uh, my brother had joined the Navy and he was a, well, they're mach- machinist mates now, but he, he was a torpedoes guy on a submarine. And, uh, my best friend, Ian was a artillery guy in the Marines. And, uh, I went to ROTC in high school. I was, a command sergeant major for our class and all of my friends had gone into the military this was like right post 9 11 yeah um there was also all that like wmd talk and I, I was just like i don't know man why are we in iraq now what what like we're in Afghan? what like who did these crimes <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so they all went in and i went to the university of tennessee in chattanooga utc as a uh, undecided student. And the deal I had with my parents was that uh, they would pay for the first two years of school, I would pay for the second two years. And uh, the long and short of it's that at the end of that two years, I was taking a um, this like humanities class or something. And uh, I loved the first class, but the second humanities class, the guy was just talking about, uh, like he would give us quizzes or tests that were like four questions, but over like 20 different like poems and he, and and he wouldn't pick like the question that you would think they'd ask about a poem. He'd pick like some line, somebody you don't know, you know, said, who, and you want to know like who said it, who they said it, all this. Sh- and I, I just remember like finishing it the whole class, the whole time I was in the class, just getting bomb scores, just nobody doing really well. And I just took the test up and I threw it in his uh, waistband and I went withdrew from, from, uh, college and i joined the navy um and that's it was just for me it was kind of like about supporting my brother and my best friends uh originally i went to the marine corps recruiting station because i wanted to be a medic and uh they were like oh we don't have medics and i was like what they were like yeah the navy does that so they sent me to the navy office and uh they were like well if you want to get we can get you in today you know if you want to go yeah, yeah you can be in the military but oh if you want to be a corpsman you're gonna have to wait so i took a warehouse job and waited for a year to get in uh to be a hospital corpsman and then um
0: and why through, why corpsman why were you so into being a corpsman was it the I, job possibilities i think it's just it,
2: like something about like i have a bit of a t- caretaker personality so Like I wanted to be able to support my friends and other people, and then uh, the when my parents were pushing for a four year school, I wanted to be an X ray tech, and they didn't they just didn't see the value in that, so they wanted me to get this four year thing. So I think that those all played into my decision to be a corpsman, and then um, I got second in my class the by a couple of points, and the the first place guy uh, he ended up going to spec ops that's what he wanted to do was marsoc so and he did he did that uh he's super i think he's an officer now his name's um james gunn i think is his name oddly enough me and him are in the same fraternity and have the same fraternity bomb number super weird anyway aside uh yeah he's the circles right it's all circles circles man that's Uh, what (laughs) i'm saying fucking circles (laughs) And uh, yeah, so they offered me basically any of the specialties for the hospital corpsman rate that I, I, I wanted, but I wanted to go FMFF and uh, I wanted to, you know, like shoot people and save lives, basically. And uh, they were like, well, since you're the best in your class or the second best, because dude's already, you know, picked his path, uh, you, you could do any of these things or we have a hot fill billet for a ship and you'll learn all of those things you'll learn lab tech you'll learn or skills you'll man i'll tell you what they didn't lie to me about any of that i learned all that stuff and it was awesome and i love doing it um but man being on a ship sucks uh i don't know if you've been on a ship but they're not fun places like literally when i was they didn't have uh they wouldn't even like pay to like let me live out in town like while we were in port and the ship was being repaired i had to live on the ship and uh so, like, I just I honestly don't have a whole lot of great positive things to say about being on a ship. Uh, <laughs> I, I did get to go see a lot of really, really awesome places in the world that guaranteed I would never have been to. And they really did kind of help reshape my mind as far as, like, how I thought about um, humanity, people in general. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we because I, I was fortunate enough to deploy to South America twice
3: mm.
2: and to the Middle East, so I got to see a lot of different things. And uh, and then when I got done with the ship, I got orders to live in Sicily, so I lived in Sicily for like two and a half years before I got out of the military.
0: Gotcha, um, Sigonella, yeah, yeah. Sicily, it, I was stationed
2: in Sigonella, Sicily. I had the time of my life, it was a great time there. We had a lot of really, really good camaraderie. Um, but since now we're talking about it being some years since these wars have started, I'm also now really, really good friends with a bunch of corpsmen who have seen some shit like, you know, in person sure. in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and uh, one of the things I remember happening is being at um, this bar out in town and uh, the local nationals were having
3: uh,
2: Italians were having some sort of birthday party. And we, uh, you know some of the italians don't like americans there's i I think we have pretty good relationship just in general but uh some asshole drunk guy started popping these balloons in the bar and literally i watched my friends hit the deck and uh that's just like one of the stories but like i really wanted to like support my friends when it was the time like when i joined up but when it came time to re-enlisting, I was just like, man, what am I going to be like after I see some shit or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but regardless, when it came time to re-enlist, I had the papers signed and um, I was prepared. They were going to send me to, you know, field med school, which I was kind of excited about. But I had also just injured my, my back. I'd herniated a disc during C training. And uh, then, um, yeah, on Friday, I had the paper's ready to go. They had offered me only two places, Lejeune or 29 Palms. And I called my uh, best friend who is, a, you know, a Marine. And he was like, oh, man, I think California would suit your personality better. You should go out there. I wrote it on the form, 29 Palms. I'll go, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll do yeah. it. I'll, I'll drink the poison. And I put it on the... the uh, Oh, what do they call the guy? He's not like a recruiter, career but, counselor. Know, career counselor. Yeah. He was like, Oh, okay, man, I'll submit it. And then a few hours later, I hear back, Oh dude, they already had you pinned in to go to Le- Lejeune and it just honestly like left such a bad taste to my mouth that like I would be promised two locations and that like they're both bottom of the barrel orders, if you will. And then when I choose one, they're like, no. So I withdrew my reenlistment and I got out and went back to Tennessee. Um, my friends who were in some of my friends, like my buddy, he's a major in the army. He's doing, he's helping bring gear over to Ukraine. So he's still in the military. Um, my other buddy who was a Marine he had gotten out, but he's got a family and kids and everyone else I knew had just kind of carried on with life. And so I was like, man, what am I going to do? And, uh, I had a old high school friend who I had reconnected, uh, with through the military and, uh, he was out here in Seattle. So he was supposed to get married. So I came out here for his wedding and, um, the long and short of it is it's like, I just really loved it out here. And I, I, so I stayed and then, yeah, I met Steve and uh, I had gotten married and unfortunately I'm not married anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, and then the band like, I I, I never thought we would uh, like have. Well, I don't I don't think that we're like a super successful commercial band or anything like that. But from the people who have seen us and stuff, like, I've heard enough other people that I have no idea who they are say that they like the band, to where it gives me more confidence in myself to uh like be more confident when you're on stage and to to. Kind of hopefully try to jump around a little bit more.
0: Uh, Well, uh, talk about talk about how music was factoring in then, and I'm I'm gonna pick up on one thing, and this is just me spitballing, but I'm guessing that when you're on the ship, there's opportunities to play, and that's probably a pretty good safety valve. Is that right? Well, yes.
2: Again, I there were only like a couple of people that I ran into on my ship that played guitar. And at that point in time, I think that they were probably better than me, but they were just doing cover songs. They didn't write any of their own stuff. And um, it just never really went anywhere with any of those those folks. I, I, you know, we we wrote actually me and my buddy uh, Frank Gee, who was a corman with me, he me and him helped. Well, we wrote the song together and he actually ended up selling the song to an artist like when we got out. And I remember that being like, he was a really, really good drummer and he's like a, a producer kind of type. Um, but that was really like the first foray into being like, oh, wait, you could do more than just play for yourself. You know, so.
0: So when you were playing for yourself, would you say, would do you mean that literally like you were actually writing songs, and like doing like poetry and, and music kind of thing? Or were you just, again, kind of doing no, covers more?
2: No, just like, just. Noodling around on the guitar, like it's okay. just one of those things that for me it helped. I, I felt like it was a way to help, kind of balance your emotions out. To 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 just be like you could be yourself through the instrument, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I I think most of the cover songs that got played while I was on the ship were uh, garage band songs, <laughs> or uh what do they call it? Guitar Hero.
0: Guitar Hero. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> that was really popular. But,
0: uh, and so how did you, know, you what did what did you think about your evolution as a guitarist while you were there did you were you actively trying to improve? did you find you were naturally improving what did was there uh, no difference at all I mean, what what was the evolution during that time?
2: I don't think I had a damn clue about guitar very much at all to be completely real with you um I, I mean, in a sense, it was like kind of like try to figure it out on your own like even you you know because like the ships didn't have youtube you know or anything like that like that if you get internet it's super slow and um yeah so i don't know that i i mean i surely improved on my own over the time but you get better playing with better people and uh, for sure i've gotten better playing with steve Uh, i know that there's like Early on in our songwriting process, like there were quite a few times where I was less like, man, I'm going to have to bring that one home and work on it for a little bit to get this ripped down. Um, but just, I, I think I went from more playing like Jack Johnson-y, like strummy acoustic stuff right. to playing more, like when I got out of the military, uh, I focused, uh, well, when I was in Sicily is when I really bought my first like adult big boy guitar electric guitar wow and um that was like when i i guess i probably started playing more with like the like high gain sounds and distortion and stuff I, otherwise it was just all acoustic and most of the writing that was done for our album was done on that tailor that that steve mentioned like like i just i Acoustic guitars are awesome. They're like the piano of guitars,
0: yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. You can play it light and get quiet sounds, or you can play it loud and
0: yeah. heavy. Well, it's weird because when Steve was saying that you, the a lot of your riffs went into Suicide Jack, um, I mean, I'm assuming you had written those on an acoustic probably with, I'm guessing a different end result in mind, right? If you're thinking of like Jack johnson type stuff, you probably weren't ever imagining it to be like what it ended up being.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean like literally all of the songs we write, uh, as far as like the end, I don't have any clue what they're going to sound like at the end. Um, I think that for me, a lot of that is because of Malcolm, because Malcolm likes to like, he likes to like have the songs basically written and then he just likes to like drive around in his car and listen to them and like try to come up with words and melodies and things. And, um, So for me, like when I was early on playing, I would think about those melodies while I was like trying to come up with chords and stuff for myself. But Malcolm is such a different vocalist and he has such a love for 80s music, which I hate, that uh, it's just like, I just had to let him do his own thing. I mean, uh, when we were in the studio, he changed a lyric to one of the songs and I remember like, i was like you can't just change the lyric to a song like right now we've already performed it live like a 1000000 This just what in my brain it's stuck the other lyrics stuck and so for me having not been in a in a in a musical project like this it's been a lot more in some sense difficulty like letting go of some of the things that like you hold close to you like if you have if we write a song or if i have a riff that has like a particular hook in mind and that's the way you've been playing it somebody else is like oh what if we did it this way what if we like dropped that third note and made it minor or whatever then we it would sound like this and uh, so it's it's been a lot of like it's a lot of give and take and and i think that a lot of musical projects break because people aren't willing to allow somebody else that artistic flexibility you know like when you hear about bands oh this band broke up because of artistic reasons in my opinion i think that's what they mean is that there's like somebody is so set on this one idea and this other person set on this idea and they're just not giving each other there's not enough give and take or there's one person that thinks like Oh, this is no, the song's gonna be a jam this way, or this song's gonna be a jam that way. I know uh Sean Walker, our, our producer in the studio, was like, Well, is this way or this way gonna sell more records? You know, like he comes at it from that producer yeah, side point. Yeah. And like, I'm like, this way. His <laughs> like, that way. <laughs> and so it's just been kind of uh, you know.
0: And what is Steve like? Does Steve? Does Steve? You put in an opinion, or do you sit back and? Or you play Solomon pretty, kind of. Steve's
1: pretty flexible, I think. Okay, Yeah, I feel like I'm go with the flow.
2: He's right? pretty go. Uh, he's pretty good go with the flow, but he's got a really good ear. Like if I if I, uh, or like we've been kind of practicing up with a new bassist. Uh, if he hits on like a wrong note, you'll hear it. Well, you know, we've been playing long enough to where we're like, we know what everything's supposed to sound like at this point, and if uh, you could hear the mess ups pretty clear.
0: <laughs> so, so, hey, let's let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the process a little bit more. I know we got into it a little bit, but I want to make, I, th- to me, never having really been in a band, that is still the most fascinating thing to me of how everything comes together so what what really is your process and and let's take it let's say going forward because i know a lot of that stuff was mined from max riffs early on and all that is maybe a starting point but now like when you guys are starting to work on new stuff where do you start is it just hey guys we got to get together and let's just start digging around Uh, everyone
2: kind of puts it like steve literally just sent me an idea yesterday um a lot of the times it's just we're sitting on our own at, like because we all live in different this area up here, even though like if you look at it on the map, it might be really close. Yeah. Just because of how shitty traffic is in this area. It's a kind of a beast to sometimes get everyone together. So um, like I'll write an idea or he'll write an idea and we'll just message it to each other. And then kind of like the one idea Steve had sent me yesterday, I was telling, telling you that I was like, oh, it's kind of reminiscent of Fuel to the Fire a little bit. Um, but he had also said like four versions of the rift like listen to like well what if it was like this cut and i was just like huh interesting
1: but uh it'll it'll so yeah it'll it'll start with uh usually a guitarist I, I mean i i'm not i don't think anybody is is against the idea of of vocals or drums like coming up with something and starting from there it just typically doesn't happen that way yeah well, so, well one of Barney's songs does start with vocals Oh, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Uh, but,
2: well, like the process. Like. Yeah, but the process didn't start yeah. that way. So we'll
1: usually come with guitar riffs and bring them in. Um, I'll say this. It, historically, the more of a song that you can have written when you bring it to the band, the more likely it is to end up as a song we play. Gotcha. So if we, if we come in with just like one part, this one like... It, and that's all we have sometimes sometimes it ends up getting stuck into another idea somewhere sometimes it just goes nowhere yeah
3: there's
2: a lot of copying and pasting of ideas yeah that, like uh oh this song was like uh we have a song that we wrote basically like symbiosis yeah was a song that uh i came up with the bones for that idea when we were in snacks's basement i think yeah towards the beginning yeah, of the, towards band. the beginning of the band and um i think the like the times that we did play it live i think people really liked it. But it's a slower meandering. It's like a song that you got to listen to and then it builds up, you know. And um, so it's been a song that we have been like retooling and retooling. And I think we have a cool version of it. So I would maybe stand by like maybe that one's going to get recorded soon. I think it's that one's going to be good. That's going to be a good song. Is is the live
0: playing a big part of it? Is that a big part of your process that you got to take it live before you realize you want to record it for posterity? I don't
2: think so. I think I I feel like because of. All right. This is a little egotistical, but I listen to so much different music. Like you were mentioning how you get stuck listening to uh, like certain brands and like Mm. it's harder for you to listen to new stuff. I am all about listening to new music. And, uh, so for me i feel like you can you can even though it's your own project or your own song or your own thing i think that if uh i think it's possible to be objective enough to to parse the difference between a shitty song and a good
1: song Mm. there's a there's a whole cache of jericho hill songs that did not make yeah the album and some man sometimes it's just it will come down to malcolm we'll get a song almost all the way together and you know malcolm will say you know it's like i'm just really not feeling this or or it's just you know something yeah that we 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 feel like we've got together but everybody's just not super excited about it and um i mean we just dumped that one song and we're not going to record it Um, truck nuts yeah truck nuts um working title working title um, yeah truck nuts you guys know what truck nuts are right Everyone? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um yeah that's all oh, the working titles of the song. that was actually a joke we were having before we were we came to this interview was like me and mac were talking like like man there's oh, like super heavy stuff they're talking about and like these people who are amazing people who are doing like s- like super awesome things for the veteran community and like you know we wrote a song called revenge jail so, like what, like, <laughs> like, what, I, like, what like, like what do we what do we have like, to offer here um but, well, but let's that,
0: save that for the revenge Angel festival which will be coming next year that'll that's all a different thing yeah it,
2: it, that's coming in 2023,
0: 2023
3: yeah <laughs> it
1: speaks to the process though like <laughs> not like like part of the process is is like once we once we get the format down once the once the arrangement is put together and we're playing it like is everybody like really super pumped on it if not everybody's super pumped on it then it, it kind of gets just put away and then it, it's like having a, it's like having a broke down car you know or motorcycle or something and you're really into like that particular brand like you, you keep that for parts so yeah yeah there's a really cool guitar part in there or drum part or something we'll 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 write it up on our big whiteboard and it's there for spare parts for another tune that maybe needs a bridge or a chorus or something like we that. just have like hundreds of recordings
0: holy shit i was about to ask you how you catalog all your scraps okay that's what it is wow oh, yeah. Holy so shit! So
1: sometimes we piece together just like uh you know we'll write as much of a song as we can bring it and and then everybody work on it, and we and we like it, and we keep it, or we piece them together out of old stuff that didn't necessarily work as a whole song.
0: When is the next album coming out?
1: Uh, um, we uh, I don't know exactly. We're uh, we were talking about hopefully the end of this year. Yeah, we've got some more writing to do though. We we probably have I don't know, maybe half of it written. Yeah, we have about half of it written. Well, um, that's assuming we want to put X number of songs on it. That's a whole yeah, other conversation. Uh, How many songs do you put on a record? Uh, well, and that's mm, the whole. That yeah. just goes into the whole.
2: Like, we could get deep into the, that whole yeah. subject of like, like nowadays, mar- the music market's like a single serving market. You know, they want their singles. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, like in albums, people just eat that shit up. They're like, mm, "Yummy just what's the next one?"
0: Right. So right. Just,
2: uh, you know, if you. Probably noticed artists more more frequently nowadays just putting out uh sing- singles like once a month or every other month or something like that so there's there's like i mean that's a whole different topic the branding the marketing the but,
1: this yeah. is this is i mean this is an internal conversation that's happening is how do we want to release whatever we're doing next sure. and this is something that you see like as an argument in our music scene where the older guys are like we have to make a record and we have to release a record and it has to have lots of songs on it and it has to we have to make physical copies of it and i'm one of those people who's you know it's like it's if we're saying if our reason for doing something is because that's the way we've always done it we're that's a bad thing that's what i hated about the military it's it's why. Because the guy standing in the line said that's the way they did it. If if our goal is to engage our audience and grow our audience, then look at look at the bands who are doing that out there. And what they're doing is all about like keeping people engaged with constant content. Yeah. yeah. Constant content. And what that means is we need to drop this idea, in my opinion, drop this idea of like releasing a record and yeah, sure. Maybe we record all those songs together, or maybe we don't, and we just start tossing them out there one at a time, yeah, at an interval. Keep people engaged, and sure, once they're all out, then we can go into our aggregator that pumps into Spotify and be like, put these yeah. all in an order and say they're a record. But I, you know, it, in our, the current environment, it's just if we want to keep people engaged and keep people turned on to our music, we just got to keep giving them more and more and more, um, and. Yeah. Honestly, with our writing style and the way that the way we put together songs, because we're kind of slow about it compared to other bands, um, just because it's so collaborative and it 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 really has to have buy in from everybody. You don't have somebody in the band being like, "This is the song." Um, I think that works in our favor, where we can kind of go at our own pace, work on one song, make it really really good, record it, put it out, and then we can start working on the next one.
0: How much um, do you even need a song? Like, I'm wondering, like, in because to even take what you're saying even further, nowadays, when the net need for constant content, which I agree seems to be the thing in all the platforms and all the media, I'm just wondering if you couldn't just go in and like film rehearsals, you know, film jam sessions and put that out and, and just like, hey, this is live streamed, it's on my YouTube channel, whatever. And like, hey, there's now there's no pressure to go out and record a song or get anything to completion until you're ready. Is that even a concept?
2: Kind of. There's, I think there's a balance to be had. You know, like if mm. you, know, you don't want to provide too big of a window for your fans to see
1: how uh, made. Or what's coming yeah. up. You know. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, All right.
1: Maybe I. I, I, I think it's for me. It's more of a. I'm. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to. Uh, what, things like recording quality and stuff like that. Oh, like, true. i yeah. think there really yeah, is a lot fair. of value of like doing some live streams stuff like that especially if you have some really passionate fans out there who would be really interested to see see what band practice looks like and what your you know what our crazy messy band space looks like right here. And,
0: right right, like, right
1: that's a cool window to have every now and then um and we've actually done some live streams yeah, we've before. done a few live uh, streams but when it comes to like what we're going to put out to um Put out there for people to like consume as like our official music. We we our, our goal. I think one thing where we're pretty aligned on is we want the we want to make sure that's like absolute top competitive
3: quality. Mm. Yep.
1: Um, and yep. I think being in bands in, in the Seattle scene where there's a lot of there's a lot of talent and everything like tons it, of talent. It's that recording quality is is like one thing that people really really notice and people people will judge you on for you yeah. know for better or for worse
0: let's talk so. about that how do you guys feel about yourselves in the seattle scene where do you stand where do you see yourselves right now do you see yourselves as you know um i, I don't know uh, kind of the big brother of a lot of bands that are coming up now or are you like no we're over a hump that a lot of these young bands are still haven't gotten over yet do you see yourself as boy we got a long ways to go where are you in that process?
1: If you would have asked us that at the beginning of the pandemic, we would have,
3: oh, we would yeah.
1: have, we would have felt that. Well, I mean, I'm always a little more humble about this. I think, like, yeah, I think I th- we were getting asked to play a lot of really, really great shows. We could pick and choose the places we wanted to play, who we wanted to play with. Then the pandemic happened, and the scene was just in yeah. yeah. and yeah. it's still recovering. We don't, we don't know who the up and comers are. Uh, we lost probably half of our venues to play at, and just went out of business. Um, wow! And we're seeing we're seeing He's coming <laughs> back. It's making a comeback, the, though. The folks, uh, the folks who seem to be really, really out there and, and pushing hard right now and getting a lot of attention, were folks who didn't really stop during the pandemic. Um, I I won't cast my personal judgment on that, but there were a lot of people out there who just did not give shits about COVID or whether people got sick at their shows or not, bar owners who cared about staying open and oh, yeah. did did everything they could to Hey, mean our state was pretty good about that stuff. What's that? Our state's pretty good about yeah.
2: uh masks and vaccines and shit, but they 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 would like, oh we're checking vaccine status at the door and then then they
1: really right. That. Right. so it, it here's here's something, you know, that it's like this is not something that I'm proud of um and i we've worked hard to move past but jericho hill almost wasn't a thing anymore that's true um we i mean I, all the pandemic was tough for us as a band um we all had a lot of struggle with it and there was a point where uh you know we weren't getting along very well and we we uh said i don't want to do this anymore
0: with with Um, the benefit of hindsight what was that because of because you couldn't because there were no gigs there was no common purpose anymore or what what was fueling that
1: i don't even know i know mac and i were having a hard time getting along um
3: yeah
1: Um, i'm sorry i didn't mean to like throw this out there
2: (laughs) oh no that's fine that's fine um i think there's just a lot there were a lot of things like i know from myself, like I felt like we released the album and didn't support it li- with live shows like I wanted to, and then um, like pandemic happened, we had a show planned for March twenty eighth, and the, they shut us down like a week before our la- yeah. show. yeah, and um, yeah, I uh, you know, my wife was a nurse, so I was having to hear from her about things on that side and uh, me and her had been going to counseling and uh ultimately you know i i think that uh, we both decided like uh to just kind of move on from each other um and then the music scene wasn't really happening so i was just kind of trying to 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 re- get my bearings redone and um and then, of course, you know, we're also not trying to get each other sick. Uh, you know, Steve's wife, Steve had a kid. You had a kid right at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Oh wow. that, was a, uh, that was right. That was right. We we had an right until 2019, August 2019. But so he had like little kids to worry about getting sick. And so there wasn't like we weren't getting together to do stuff. Um, and then our bassist, Nick, he he was really like music is his life he's an amazing bassist and um, since we weren't playing he started playing with another group and shows weren't happening nothing was happening but they happen to be one of those bands that you yep. know they, they're they're great guys we love all those dudes Hunter and Jake Norman. yeah but, uh, yeah so he basically joined up with another new band and uh like when he did that I was like well all right' uh, I couldn't really at the time. I couldn't see Jerichoville continuing without Nick. Uh, I, in my opinion, some of my favorite songs I wrote with Nick, and so like I love him, and, and he's really close to my heart. Uh, but he, you know, he has his own life to live, and I understand that. Me, you know, we we me and him talked about it a lot. We're still all of us are still really good friends, by the way, and. Um, So with the, you know, me and my wife splitting and and Nick leaving, I, you know, I don't have family from up here. I'm from, like you said, I'm from, my family's from Tennessee, but they're all over. And uh, so I was just like, you know what, I think I'm going to, I'm going to step out too. So I stepped out and uh, it just got, I don't know, I got kind of lonely. I just was still writing and playing guitar. There's like, for me, it's, it's never been anyone else that ever put pressured me to play guitar except for maybe those three or four weeks where my parents were like i'm buying you an electric guitar if you don't play this acoustic shitty rusty string piece of shit so uh it's always been something i kind of did for myself and uh the album in my you know I'm, in my thinking was always it's out there and it's something that i'm proud of That's so i was able still able to play with everyone whenever i play along to the album and but it, uh, it's still not the same, and, you know, I mean, we had a talk and about basically just getting things back together, and we were kind of in that process of, like, writing new stuff, and just kind of, like, getting together, because, like, Adam also got married, our drummer got married during that. Malcolm so like, had a kid. Malcolm had it. that's what it was, um, Malcolm yeah. had his kid, and, um... So there's a lot of like, I, I know, like, like for instance, I think about, um, you know, I think about the Foo Fighters, I guess, because of
3: um, Steve Hawkins yeah. passing.
2: Um, that hit me hard. Yeah. But when we think about bands that are that, that level, you know, that no, there's not that much room for bands at that level or that caliber. And so it's, uh, where was I going with this? <laughs> uh, but basically, it's, uh, it's just like, we you know, are we going to ever be that or what are, what what is Jericho Hill? Like, like, and so it's just, I don't know. We got together and we've been playing. And um, actually, when Steve mentioned being in a band in Hawaii, uh, the guy from that band actually moved his band here. And that old guy the, from a different band, guy Let's... from a different band that Adam was originally, our drummer was originally drumming from. So it's all circles.
1: Yeah. It's all this like, Guy named Ryan Carney. When I was in my band in Hawaii, the first show we scheduled when we got back from Iraq was with his band called Stoic, Stoic FB specifically. Yeah, uh, and they and uh, we ended up becoming good friends. And uh, after I had gotten out of the army, a couple of years later, um, I get a call from him, and he's like, "I'm moving to Seattle," and he uh, he's actually uh, the one who's playing bass for us right now.
0: So back to the circles thing.
1: Yeah, all back to circles. Yeah. So uh,
2: Ryan's been kind of, kind of playing with us, and we've been resharpening everything, and uh, we're interested, or interested. uh, We're excited about the the new blood, you know, yeah. Uh, Because it always kind of it's a new, it's a new person to write music with, and it's a new perspective, and um, and he's also talented. He's been playing. In, in his band for years now, and so he's comfortable on stage and, you know, all that.
0: What do you think it does for the sound of Jericho Hill? Do you think the sound will be similar to suicide Jack or do you think there's going to be do you think there'll be changes that so
2: far it sounds very similar.
1: yeah I mean he's been he's been really really, really the stuff for you know to go to New York and play. Um, so a lot of the stuff he's playing is Nick's parts, but you know w- when we get to the new material, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, uh, we'll see how that comes out because
2: he is like a guitarist that plays bass, but Nick Uh-oh. was,
1: bassist. Yep. yeah, gotcha. So, and Nick was, Nick was, Nick was the the kind of bassist that that you would really really like. Yeah, he's a uh, he's he's a bassist that you know. I always made the joke as his bassist that should have just been a guitarist, but uh, he, uh, yeah, he's, he's very good. He's, he's very, very talented. He's one
0: of those badly I behaved bassist awesome awesome that just wants to do his own played. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. letting it, letting that bass walk. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's awesome. yeah, he's
2: really talented. I mean, uh, you know, because I mentioned that Jericho is like the only band I've really been in, so I can't tell you, Chris, like how many t- how many times we played shows where we finished a set and we're packing our gear up for the, you know, the next band or, or whatever. And somebody will come up to Nick and be like, Holy shit, dude, you are the best bassist in Seattle. Like, I, I'm not even joking, but I've heard like three or four people tell him that. And I just think to myself, like, who are you to play with this dude who like these strangers are saying is the best bassist in Seattle or like, like some, yeah. sometimes i just yeah. feel like so ridiculously fortunate to have to be in the situation i'm in um and it's well, just i don't know life's interesting man Yeah, life is interesting well it's
0: a lot of good second and third order effects i think from having just some badass music i mean you guys like i i i think i would listened to 30 seconds of your guys stuff when i was like what the fuck I was like, how how is, was like, okay, I'm downloading this all this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean it's I, I love it. And it's funny because I mean just hearing how the sausage is made is kind of interesting because I know you talk about Malcolm Love in the 80s and all that. I wouldn't necessarily have pegged that based off of what your sound is. Um, like I could see him going in a bunch of different directions, but thinking like I mean, I'm assuming when we're saying 80s, we're talking about hairband kind of stuff oh, yeah. and all that. And um I I, I don't I guess I can see that because you're saying it, but, uh, yeah, that's not necessarily what your stuff reads like to me when I'm listening to it. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think your guys sound is freaking awesome. And, um, what I love is how I think you guys are built for a festival. I think there's just something about a festival crowd that is going to really appreciate what you guys do. Cause I, I think that's just a dynamic that is, um, I don't know. Not a lot of people, I think, pull that off. I think a lot of people can make noise, but there's, so, but what I love, I'll tell you the two things that immediately come to mind that I can articulate that I really like about y'all's music. And one is um, the catchiness that I, I always will hum your song. Like I, I it, even just knowing I was going to be talking to you guys today, I didn't even have to listen to any of your music and I was already humming. Like it was in my head. Um, oh, there's just, thanks. you guys, you guys have like really catchy hooks. And then um and then just kind of the uh I don't know what, what it is. I don't know if it's Malcolm, the way Malcolm I don't know what the right word is, inflects things, intones things, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's kind of a um there, yeah, there's a certain theatricality to the way that a lot of that stuff just reads, at least to me, that um, and it's kind of like a um, it's like Loki started a band or something. It's like there's a, there's a little bit of like yeah. Like I, I can't think of a better uh, that this is a Sunday afternoon inarticulateness that I have right now, but so I'm not finding the right words, but that's the thing that comes to mind. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's, there's like um, a, a cheekiness. If I was British, that would make, that would sound better. But yeah, anyway, I, that's shit that I just like. I, I, and I like that with the hooks. I'm like, that's freaking awesome. And it just, I can't uh, wait for you to sticks. meet
1: Malcolm in person Yeah, he's, because he's like, he, he personifies what you're hearing like that's just the way he is like as just a dude yeah and that's so great
0: that's freaking awesome
1: hit. it's he it's, i don't know anybody doesn't like
2: malcolm yeah <laughs> All right, so, so like the beginning of the song suicide jack malcolm does this like 80s hair metal scream and while we were recording that he did that and i was like oh fuck no that can't stand." there uh you know because i said i don't really like that kind of music but literally, even to this day, it makes me laugh every time I hear him do it. And so, to me, that's enough. That's, that's fair. It, like, that's people, a freaking
0: win. Like yeah.
2: I, 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 if that's what people love about it, then that's that's fine. That's good
0: too. <laughs> Listen, you guys, fucking rock. I know I took up two hours of your Sunday, and um, that was just kind of indulgent, and that's because I really wanted to. But uh, thanks for doing that and humoring no, me, man. No I cannot fucking wait for you guys to get to the festival. Um, there's so many cool things that are going to happen. I actually want to talk to you guys about something offline when we end this, but, um, thanks for coming on guys. This was fucking right. All right. Thanks
1: for having us. Yeah. great.
0: Um, we will see you guys May 29th for everybody that doesn't know about it yet. I don't know how that's possible. Cause if you're listening to this, it's pretty much all I talk about, but, um, Jericho Hill will be there. Thank you guys. You're
2: Thank you. welcome. See you guys soon. See you there
0: that was the savage wonder of Jericho hill man that was fun talking to those guys I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did as I said uh, up front in the intro you know I was a little neurotic that uh maybe I was just having too much of a lunchtime conversation or something with the guys as opposed to really you know focusing and doing like a you know proper interviewed podcast or whatever but it is what it is uh i I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did I had a great time. Talking to Mac and Steve, and I can't wait to see them at the festival. That is going to be incredible. So as you know, go check out SavageWonder.com, Savage savagewonder, all one word.com. Find out everything going on at the Savage Wonder Festival, SavageWonder.com, and check out vetrep.org, where you can see every line of effort being produced and put on by the Veterans Repertory Theater. VetRep V-E-T-R-E-P.org, V-E-T-R-E-P dot org, vet org. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would deeply appreciate both your review and five stars that you could slap on that review. So say whatever you want to us, ask questions, comments, snide remarks, but if you could attach it to five stars, that would be outstanding. Um, on social, at Vet Rep Theater and Theater we spell with an E R, not an R E. Vet Rep Theater on Twitter or on Instagram, or if you're on Facebook at Veterans Repertory Theater, and I know nobody knows how to spell repertory, so I'll spell it for you here, R-E-P-E-R-T-O-R-Y, at Veterans Repertory Theater. So hit us up on social, uh, give us a follow, let us know how we're doing, let us know what you like, don't like, whatever. Uh, Any and all feedback is welcome. If you want to submit your work to Veterans Repertory Theater or to our literary blog, go to vetrep.org. Go to submissions, the submissions tab. You will see all the information you need to know on how to submit your work to us. Whew. All right. Sorry, guys. I'm 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 not gonna lie. I it's been a week since I've done a podcast. And as I said, I was busy with the festival and I stockpiled these podcast episodes knowing I was gonna be busy. Um, but I'm feeling like I'm 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 hurting and dragging ass a little bit here today. So hopefully I'm not. Hopefully me saying this is overkill and you guys were like, Hey, if you never say anything, I wouldn't notice, but I notice, um, and hopefully you don't, (laughs) but now I've drawn your attention to it. So it's a catch 22. But if you did notice, um, that's why I'm sounding a little beat up and, uh, we'll be back at it when I'm fully rested and diving into more of these. But this was a fun one today and I hope it didn't detract from your enjoyment. And if it didn't, there can only be one man that could have possibly salvaged all of it to the extent that he did. And that of course would be our producer, Michael Neal. So thanks to him as always. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of the veterans repertory theater. See you next time. And we'll dive further into the savage wonder of it all.